Welcome to the Evolving Enterprises podcast. We have stories of growth and transformation. I'm Martin Parr. Let me introduce Prochelle, my <laughs> latest recruit. So welcome along, Prochelle. And then we're going to talk today about decision making and particularly focusing on what you would do in organisations at senior level to make great decisions and how systems thinking can enable that. So if we begin with the very recent discussion I had with a new CEO and the CEO turned to me and said, OK, so what, what should I do? What would you do in my position? And it's kind of interesting because, uh, you know, I didn't really know the, the strengths and weaknesses of the entire organisation particularly well. I didn't really know where it was positioned. And so I said, I said, what I think I would do is I would focus on risk and opportunity. I looked at the organisation and they'd focused hugely on risk. They were great and a classic sort of approach to decision making where the seniors are afraid of making the wrong decision, afraid of sort of doing something which is not going to be great. But in the process of doing that, they're not necessarily as open to the opportunities as they could be. Mm. And so I think I think openness to opportunity is really, really key as we as you, as you go forward. And th we're thinking about the way that many sort of entrepreneurial organisations flourish. They are so open to opportunity. One of the things that's been a hallmark of Richard Branson's career is that He's he's looked for you know a, a really good opportunity to slide into somewhere. He's he's found an organisation where often the competition is fairly fat and sleepy, and uh, he's managed to to go in and do something you know very novel, very very interesting. And that's I think been I've I've seen organisations that have done that. I've I've helped organisations to achieve that, and I think there's a few real sort of key areas there to to sort of deliver on if you're if you're going to going to sort of take the, make the most of those opportunities. So, Prashel, as a as a psychologist, what's your what's your view on on that? What what do you think about sort of decision making? What's your you know what what sort of questions would you ask about kind of uh, the decision making process? I would assume that there is some bias in decision making, sunk cost bias in particular. Can you tell me more about that and how that would maybe, mm. you know, delay the decision making process? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's there's a lot of biases at work in in our sort of decision making. And I think when you when you take on a consulting assignment, there's there's three axes that it's it's really worth looking at. And those those three axes are rational, emotional, and political. And I would always look along those three axes and see what's really going on in this organization. What's the, you know, what is the temperature rationally? What's what's the sort of, you know, what are the things that the organization's going to bump into? Are they running out of cash? Are they struggling to recruit? Are they in a position where, you know, they're they're sort of running out of market, where, you know, their their market is diminishing away and they're looking for something new? So what's the kind of rational? And then I'd be looking at the emotional. What's what's the emotional temperature of that organisation? Are people worried, nervous? Are they scared? Are they are they scared of failure? Are they scared of doing the wrong thing? Are they scared by opportunity? Sometimes people are really phased by opportunity because it is a scary thing. I mean, I, I run my own company and I, I know the moment that you embark on something new, you think, well, hang on. You know, I can't used to do things, and it was it was easier in the past. We look back to the past and we say, "Ah, oh, that was that was better in the past." But I think we do need to to look at sort of our opportunities really well in terms of, oh, do we have an emotional bias against it? Mm -hmm. And then I would look at the politics. 
And I would look at where is the organisation politically? What's the what's the sort of view of the organisation? Where are they? Are they being pushed around by a major player? Are they sort of on their own amongst a group of smaller players? You know, are they part of an alliance? And as they as they grasp an opportunity, they would kind of go and cause a problem with the alliance. Where where do they sit? So rational, political, and emotional are really important. Mm-hmm. And I think you you hit on a, a, a key area that you know there are there are many biases. We're all we're all far more biased than we ever think we are we we all wander through life saying that we are beautifully unbiased but sadly we're not and you know (laughs) we have we have many biases and one of those you mentioned sunk cost bias sunk cost bias is so interesting because um most of us are affected by it you know so if you if you put i don't know 10 pounds into something and you think oh this wretched machine it hasn't given me my whatever it is for 10 pounds well i'll go and you know you take more time and you you know you get more annoyed and you write to somebody and all of that is putting in you know additional kind of money you, you think well 10 pounds you know come on it's you know it's a good bit of money to some but to most you know we'd say oh, okay it's 10 pounds let's just just walk away but some cost bias is that you don't want to walk away you put that money in so you try and get your you know, get some value out and then you put a bit more money in you put 100 in now oh gosh we're gonna really see this through and you know you get to a thousand and where, where do you stop where what is the point where you you stop and walk away you know i've sort of i've seen many experiences where people have gone to court over started out as relatively small you know disagreements and because of the fees and the lawyers and the other things it's amazing how much it gets to and in the end everybody loses from that so sunk cost bars is one that's really worth watching the best example of sunk cost bars was of course the nimrod so the uk taxpayer spent 3.4 billion pounds on the the replacement for the Nimrod aircraft and that was signed off in the 1990s and I think it, it was cancelled in 2010 as I remember in the Strategic Defence and Security Review. We'd spent £3.4 billion by that stage and no aircraft had been delivered. So at, at all stages of that there was an opportunity to stop it and um, it wasn't pe- that people were unaware of the risks in the airframe and in the electronics but they put a million in. So why, why would you stop? They yeah. put you know five, ten, a hundred million. They've put a billion in where you can't walk away from a billion you know and and in the end you have to walk away in the end you get to a point where you're not going to be able to deliver what you want so that's the risk side of it and the the biases on risk the opportunity side is also fascinating because again we are we are sort of full of our biases. We're full of sort of biases either against leaping into something or we maybe leap without you know thinking the best example of where an organization has absolutely capitalized on an opportunity is a, a, a company I've been working with for a number of years, and they they basically were first to market in a, in a key area. And they were they went in as the underdog they went in with without the reputation of some of the people who had been in that space for years they went in without the the experience of being able to deliver this new service uh, and yet they they were first to market and they were sort of the leader in the UK for quite a while they're still years on second in the the UK in terms of volume of market and despite the fact that there are there's some really tough competition in that area they've really held their own and it's it's extraordinary to see how you know someone who if you you know if you were putting money on it in the, the beginning you probably wouldn't have said that they would flourish mm. but actually because they were able to make their decisions really quickly and because they were able to take a a sensible approach to risk you know they they did what richard branson did when he founded his airline he bet something in the order of quarter of the profits from a year from his recording sort of company 
on founding an airline, just renting one aircraft, basically, and then that built Virgin Atlantic. And so by, by taking that calculated risk, by not betting the entire company on something, you can move forward, but you've got to do it in that, that sort of calculated way. And you've got to be able to walk that really difficult ground between risk and opportunity. And if you're too risk obsessed, you won't grasp the opportunity. If you're too opportunity obsessed, you'll you'll you know lose your money before you've done anything because you'll you'll bet on this and bet on that and bet yeah. on something else. And well, why not put it on a horse? You know. <laughs> <laughs> so so in in terms of the the biases, then the the way that people um, sort of approach things in that that sort of area. Do you, do you think there's there's something really to be learned from that, from a sort of psychology perspective? Do you think there's there's a sort of broader kind of piece that we we need to look at here? I think as a whole, we all need to be very aware of our biases. Mm, yeah, yeah, it, biases. We are always like all our decisions are always like unconsciously stemmed from many biases we have. There are so many different biases, and I think it would be a good thing for us to be very aware of those biases, especially when we're making decisions, because we don't want it to be led by unconscious biases, by emotions. All these tactics that you were talking about, rationality, they all they all matter when making decisions. And so we don't want to be too rash um, when making decisions. So we definitely need to be aware of those biases, I think. Mm, absolutely. I think awareness is really key because there are some things that are burnt into us in our values. So if I went to one of my my friends who is is a, a great sort of campaigner for all things environmental, uh, and I said, hey, there's there's some shares in sort of Airbus that are, are getting very cheap at the moment. You know, what, what do you think? Would you buy into that? Well, the answer is absolutely not. No way. Not in a million years. No, that's not something that I, you know, I feel personally that I want to support. You know, Airbus have done great things. They're a great company. But for that particular individual, it wouldn't be something that that would you know would fit so well so biases we you know we have to be aware of there would be no point in going to the md of a of a sort of you know a company that had a particular view on where they wanted to invest what they wanted to do and suggesting you do anything different from that and um, the you know the biases and the sort of approach that they have is welded into the company but i think one of the things that's really important as a consultant is to encourage people to just take a look at those biases and make sure that they're right Mm. Because, you know, there, there are times when biases can be immensely sort of counterproductive. There are times when they can very much hold you back. There are times yeah. when those biases can stop you doing the right thing. And so you almost kind of get, you, you build yourself into a corner if you're not careful and you just carry on doing what you're doing. And, you know, the best example of an organisation that was totally stuck was, of course, Kodak. And Kodak yeah. were fixated on wet film. You know, they went through the 90s and wet film is all we do. Kodak had plenty of opportunity to change one of the first digital cameras in the world was engineered in Kodak. And the board looked at it and said, well, yeah, it's okay, but don't, don't spread the word too widely, will you? You know, and so we, you know, they got into the sort of 2000s and were still just about managing to hold their own. But the moment that the market dropped, they were, you know, the board were explaining it in all sorts of different ways. It's recession, it's this, it's that. And the, the, the reality of the fact that that was the end of wet film, the end is very, very close. The market's rolling off. It's time to go and do something else. And um, that, that didn't sink in. So we have to be very careful of um, not living our biases too much to the point where we can take an organisation down by, by doing it. 
But the decision-making is so important and the speed of decision-making as well is another key thing. And we'll come back to that in, in later episodes because I think the, the, the key things are really to be able to make the right decision at the right time. And in order to do that, of course, you need the right information, you need the right evidence, but you need to be in the right mindset to make the decision. So yeah. if you're feeling stressed, fraught, if you're seeing all the problems of the enterprise today, you're probably not in the best position to go and pick a future. You know, I mean, as much as Kodak, you know, with, with, with wonderful you know, benefit of hindsight, hindsight, Kodak didn't do the right thing. They weren't particularly prepared for that roll off. But you can well imagine that there are all the issues of the wet film, you know, production that are hitting the, the board and they're, they're getting overloaded with all the issues about, you know, how you run your business. So, you know, you can't blame people for making what, you know, with hindsight wouldn't be great decisions. But I think what's what's key is to, you know, be able to take time and take that opportunity to look at you know where are you now what, what are you doing what's what's happening the, the, that's that's important and that's really the strategy process the process is about making sure that you make those decisions those really key decisions and make time for them and i think that one of the best definitions of the sort of strategic thinking work is uh, that you know it, it's the work that you know you you wish you'd done two years ago but you <laughs> but you didn't <laughs> and and actually that's 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 key if you can if you can make that agenda time is you can find those days to really think about what's important and that will help systems thinking is so useful for that because systems thinking enables you to go and really take stock of what's going on it helps you to take stock in in terms of the rational it helps you to take stock of what the temperature is in the emotional and in the political space so it can be immensely helpful in uh, sort of taking forward a, a a strategy in formulating strategy and and one of the things that's come to light recently is just how much strategy is emergent. I think for those of us who've been helping organizations build strategy for years, I think it's not you know, news. But for, for quite a long time, the, the people who sort of talked about you know, corporate strategy, particularly the academics, sort of had this, this ivory tower view of you building strategy in complete isolation from everything else and, and hurling it into the abyss of, well, here is my strategy. Now, it just might work if you were first to market in a completely new area, if you were the, the first to produce, well, ChatGPT, for example, you've got the ability to influence what's going on. You know, you can do the thinking about, well, we're going to launch this version. We're going to do, then modify it in this way and this way and this way and this way. Mm. And that then can mean that everybody else has to follow. But for all the other organizations, you, you have to follow. You, you have to follow what's happened. There have been so many instances where organizations have been first to market and have launched something and then everybody else has tried to catch up. And some older examples of the Sony Walkman, so the, the, the cassette version of the, the, the Walkman many years ago, mm. it, it came along, Sony were first to market, they produced this tiny little cassette player, which everybody really appreciated. And then everybody copied them. Of course, all the, the also brands copied that and within a few yeah. months, uh, you know, they weren't the only people making that. So, so what Sony then did was they they built a, put a radio into theirs, and so they also ran said, oh, oh, great, we've got to re-engineer this thing now to get a radio on it. Okay, right, we'll do that. We'll re-engineer it. We'll build our you know, new circuit board, and we'll launch it. Lo and behold, they launch it. They also ran to take a bit of the market, and then Sony said, we'll put a noise reducer on us. <laughs> They'd already engineered it there. So a noise reducer came along, and because it's all hardware, and because you had to just go back to square one, you could imagine the MD of the you know the, some of the also ran companies saying, oh no, not again you know we've got to go and re-engineer this wretched thing again it's 
throw everything away and build a whole new one. And then, then I suppose the also ran started to think, well, what could they possibly come up with next? <laughs> but that's that's really key. It's about what could they come up with next. Mm. If you're in that competitive environment, if you're if your your business is based on AI and you're looking at you know what's what's up and coming now, it's really good to look to the future. And so in terms of capitalizing on the opportunities, it's not only about the opportunity that exists now, it's about what's the opportunity in the future. What does it look like? How do you get the best out of that opportunity? And sort of how 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 is what you're going to do going to fit in with that really complex environment of strategy amongst your your competitors, amongst your collaborators, amongst the people that you're working with? Mm-hmm. So actually formulating that sort of view of risk and opportunity is so key. And we we talk about risk and opportunity all the time. It's something that you know is is part of everyday conversation. Mm-hmm. But being being able to embrace that as an organisation truly takes stock of what's there of what uh, is really a, a true opportunity and being able to capitalize on it is so important wow thank you in that you mentioned disagreements within mm. companies and it just made me think when there are disagreements within, within companies about decision making how would you navigate that how would you go with the majority or yeah how would you it's, navigate it, that? it's always a challenge there are there are ways to kind of take the emotion out of some of these things. And I think I've I've worked on projects across government, I've worked on private sector projects. And I think there's there's certain things which have huge amounts of emotion attached to them. Particularly if you're going to take something away. I mean that's that's when you know it's not so bad if it's if it's variants of a new thing. People are happy to live with a you know a new car that's you know a, a different colour. They wanted a, you know they wanted a grey, you can't get a grey so they have a blue. That's fine. You know, people can can kind of live with that. But if you're going to take the car away, if you're going to say we're moving to a model where you just rent your, you know, your kit because you don't, you know, you don't, don't drive enough to need the car anymore, that's a massive wrench. And you know, it's the same thing with organisations. Mm. And I've seen you know real tears from people you wouldn't expect to be shedding tears when something's taken away and something's changed and something's done in a different way. And I think the key is is to to try and get people to uh, engage with the decision making process. There's there's all sorts of ways to do that. But the more you can get them to engage, the more you can start to take out some of that emotional, I don't want it, and get down to, okay, so what do we want collectively as an organization? Mm. What's our future about? What is, what, what's the, the, what's our business about? It works very well for office moves. It works very well for moving into new markets. It works brilliantly where, you know, you, you are going to get an emotional response from people. You are going to get the, the people who've been directors of a company who will say, Hey, I'm, I don't, you know, I don't really like this very much. Our business, you know, our business was wet film. <laughs> it can, it can work brilliantly there. Um, and I think the, the key thing is to have some criteria and set those criteria and then look rationally at how well each different option fits onto those criteria. Mm-hmm. And then you're able to, to start to make decisions about, well, okay, if it, if it fits, you know, if, if we, you put some numbers to it and it's say, you know, it's, it's an eight on this and it's a five on that. What if it wasn't? What if it's, you know, a, a seven and a four? How much does that change things? You can really get down to that. Well, how much would it have to be in order to keep this entity? How much would you have to back off some of those criteria to, for example, keep the car? You know, this is a, a discussion a lot of sort of people have, you know, getting getting to sort of my, my age with their parents. You know, they sort of, uh, what, what's the point where it's not a great idea for parents to drive anymore? 
And, you know, sometimes that has to do with sort of medical conditions. Sometimes that has to do with sort of, you know, costs of keeping the car, you know, etc. Sometimes it's to do with, you know, a move that there isn't maybe a space for the car. There isn't a garage anymore in the house that, you know, they're moving to, etc. And, and those are tough, really, really tough decisions. And it's exactly the same with a company that, uh, you know, what, what do you want out of that company? Mm-hmm. And what's the best way of achieving that? How, how might you get the, the best out of it from those different approaches? And when you can get people around a table, and you can have a discussion you can sort of apply some numbers to some of those dimensions and you can get a sense of well what really works for everybody you know people feel that they they've been given procedural justice and and that that actually helps enormously so i i wouldn't always go with a majority i wouldn't always go with a group i would i would try to get people to have a discussion and yeah, some will agree to disagree, but in the end, that's a really good way of getting people to move forward. I mean, the, the best example of you know sort of procedural justice was you know Brexit, and you know within the UK, we we voted in 2016 to leave the European Union, mm-hmm. and probably about half the country didn't want it, and about half the country did. It was absolutely on a knife edge, and it's one of those political things that's absolute dynamo. I mean, no, no politician wants to get in the middle of that because you're going to offend 50% of your constituency at least, maybe more than that in some areas is quite a lot more than that potentially depending on what way you you choose to express so it's something that's so difficult and yet the the referendum gave us you know procedural justice that whatever way you wanted to, to to sort of vote you know it was a majority decision and those who didn't like it so much you know know that well at least it was you know a decision that was made by those people who chose to to vote on that day and that's what we 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 subscribe to as a democracy that's our way forward so it's a similar thing with you know decisions that we don't like in organizations if we all turn up we have an opportunity to discuss it we have an opportunity to contribute we have an opportunity to hear others views you know we make a decision and we move forward it's a really good way and then people are much more minded to move forward you know and and, and you know, embrace the the utility of the new environment uh, so yeah I would, I would absolutely and there are there are methods there are tools there are approaches there's multi-criteria decision analysis which is just totally brilliant mm-hmm. i've applied that with really large groups of people i've had you know physical meetings of you know 50 or so to a time where everybody votes and essentially what you can do is give them a keypad like who wants to be a millionaire where they are the audience yeah and you can you can do that you can run it and it works even better online because uh, you know everybody can just just vote there are apps now on phones that you can use for voting so everybody gets their say and that's the key thing is if everybody's had their say everybody feels that they've been heard you know they're much more prepared to move on i think the time that it's really dangerous where you try to move an organization on is if there's an awful lot of baggage that hasn't been dealt with if you're if you're trying to force a vote and people feel well you know what i haven't really had my say you you you've run huge risks by doing that but i think by being open by allowing people to have their say you're able to capitalize on those opportunities So that's really great. We've had a, a fantastic discussion about the decision-making process, about how to capitalise on opportunities, how to deal with risks in an enterprise. So this was the Evolving Enterprises podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you. 